This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiamson. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us. Welcome to episode number 80 of the Podium Finish Live here with your host, Rob Tiamson, and my good co-host, Nathan Salman. Welcome to the post-Pocono, pre-Richmond and Road America edition of the World's Fastest Hour of Racing Talk. Boy, do we have a lot to get to on this edition of our show because a lot happened at the Tricky Triangle, of course, especially on Sunday afternoon with the Highpoint.com 400 because we're all talking about the finish that still has us buzzing days later with Kyle Larson and Denny Hellman's battle on lap 154. And of course, all the exciting action for the Xfinity Series and Truck Series, as well as the fact that we have two great, hot seat interviews on this show in the form of Luke Mori and Austin Hill. We're so happy that we can feature the most recent winner in the Xfinity series in Austin Hill and another quality young driver from the Team Hornady development camp in Luke Mori. So lots to get to on this podcast. And because we have a lot to digress on, and I know Nathan's got some great strong opinions to share on the show, because there's so much to unpack from Pocono, why don't we get to it right now? Because you know, for a matter of fact, folks, Nathan's been at the last two races in NASCAR and uh, he got to see one of the most, I guess you could say, action-packed races we've ever seen at Pocono. So Nathan, welcome back from your trip these last two weeks at New Hampshire and now Pocono. I'm sure you're looking forward to some R&R, but before that, we've got the R race weekend to think about with Road America in Richmond. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as, as, as much as I enjoyed being at the track the last couple of weeks, it's definitely good to uh, uh, have a little break, kind of relax a little bit. Um, I'll actually be going on vacation next week, so you won't uh, you won't be hearing from me next week here on this podcast, but uh, still staying very busy. I have a lot of Pocono content to, to still work on, so make sure everybody is uh, still tuned into the TPF website. There's definitely a, a lot more to come uh, for the Pocono Raceway weekend. Certainly, uh, Nathan made sure that he got a, he got a lot of good content on on the website, and then these interviews that he got recently uh, from Pocono. So we'll be broadcasting those on the podcast for these next few weeks, and much much more. And as a matter of fact, Nathan's going to be back at the racetrack not long after uh, his trip because Watkins Glen is next month. So as you know, folks, that's his hometown race, and that means that there's a lot of action that's going to be unpacking at Watkins Glen International with the Xfinity and Cup Series playoff races not too long after that. So hang on, folks, if you want to hear more from Nathan Solomon on three at the racetrack. So super, super job by Nathan, of course, these last two weeks. And of course, our photographers, Sam Trace and Wayne Regal. Job well done by all of them under the circumstances. And also, too, uh, I do want to take a moment just to thank everybody who was able to help out our photographer, Wayne, um, during his unfortunate situation last weekend at Pocono. Um, as he told me, you know, there's a lot of good people in the racing industry, and that is a certainly going through a tough thing like what he went through, where um, you know, I, I don't want to comment too much on it, but let's just say that, you know, somebody decided to go and be a jerk about taking other people's equipment, but thankfully, uh, the racing community banded around our friend and our great photographer 
and certainly hope he gets back on his feet with his equipment soon and I hope the perpetrator gets caught. So uh, no one gets away with things like that. And that's certainly the one person that I think Nathan and I can think is repulsive when it comes to Pocono Raceways weekend. But everything else I'd say was pretty sensational. So job well done Team Pocono. And I'm looking forward to uh, the, the weekend ahead with Road America and Richmond. And I'll shout out to those team members later on on the show. But before we get started, why don't we hear from our sponsors, SpoilerDieCast.com. Hey, racing fans. Are you in the hunt for the latest diecast cars from Lionel Racing or F1 or IndyCar diecasts? Well, look no further. If you head to SpoilerDieCast.com, you'll find all of the latest and greatest diecast cars and get free shipping and 5% off of your orders if you use promo code TPF by spending $20 or more on your items. Head over to SpoilerDieCast.com and let Evan and his team know that you want the best diecast cards around. And if you use promo code TPF, you'll be in the winner's circle. It doesn't get better than that. So just head on over to SpoilerDieCast.com and make your latest purchases today. Yes, indeed, folks. Use that promo code TPF. Use it often. You'll save yourself 5% off your orders and get free shipping. And hey, who would, who would argue against free shipping these days? Because if you order from the other wholesalers, you're going to get charged for shipping. If you order from the mothership, you get charged for shipping. So in this case, folks, I kindly suggest that you go ahead and do all your diecast and racing merchandise shopping at SpoilerDieCast.com. Evan and his team get those merchandise out there. And within four to five business days, pretty quickly, honestly, with the USPS. So do yourself a solid, treat yourself, think about us, and you'll make all of us happy. And you'll be in victory lane as a process on that. But right now, why don't we get ready to talk about podium perspectives. And this is probably going to be the biggest topic we talk about this entire podcast. And it's something that's going to be talked about really for a long, long time. Uh, I wouldn't quite call it as controversial as Rusty Wallace and Jeff Gordon in 1998 at Richmond, but it certainly had dividing opinions on this, which is okay. That's what motorsports and sports should be all about. But to set it up, folks, lap 154, a crucial restart took place in which Kyle Larson got a hearty push from Danny Hamlin going into turn one. Unfortunately for Larson's case, he was not able to hang on to his car when he and Hamlin made contact with each other in turn one, which sent Larson going against the wall and Hanlon was able to take the lead from there. And not long after that, another caution came out, I believe for the number 31 car of Justin Haley, not too far from that location. And when the, the field made their way to the stripe to take the caution, Larson expresses his pleasure by, uh, you know, doing some pay training, not quite cold trickle with Russ Wheeler, but it was probably the angriest anyone's ever seen Kyle Larson in a stock car. And then after the race, of course, Larson had his opinion of it. Hamlin, understandably, had his own opinion of it. But at the end of the day, one emerged as a total winner, and the other one is fuming about it. And there's been some podcast wars about it. I don't mean on TPF Live, but um, on Denny's podcast, he's maintaining his innocence. And Kyle Larson is, um, you know, he's kind of 
you know, disputing that a little bit on his Dirt Track podcast. So it's an interesting time, but hey, you know, right after a few days, you know, you have to realize it is hard racing. And it's a matter of fact that they were going for the win. So, I mean, Nathan, you, I don't, you didn't exactly have a front row seat, but you were at the racetrack. And I'm sure compared to what we had seen on the TV, um, I would imagine the, the atmosphere at the racetrack when that moment happened was quite electric, but why don't you give us our thoughts on this? Because I know, um, you know, you've been pretty much giving some strong thoughts on this. Well, actually, I pretty much did have a front row seat because I actually went out to pit road for that restart. Um, so when they when they like came back around, I like I saw them hit like right in front of me. So that was kind of crazy. But um, so it, it was it was pretty close to a front row seat to to all of the uh, all of the madness. But I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean it, it it's a racing incident. I mean, you know, like there, there's six laps to go. I mean, Denny Hamlin's not going to give up an inch of ground. I mean, they're they're both you know they're, they're two of the best NASCAR drivers in our generation and, and potentially, you know, two of the best that we, we've ever had. I mean, obviously Denny Hamlin just won his 50th race on Sunday. Um, not very many NASCAR drivers will ever get to over 50 wins. And um, I think Larson's at, at 21 right now. So essentially two, you know, future Hall of Fame drivers right there that, that both still have uh, many, many more years to go uh, in, in the Cup Series. But, yeah, I mean – Again, there, there, there's six laps to go. Denny's going to do everything he can to, to go out and win the race. Kyle's going to do everything he can to go out and win the race. Um, Denny, you know, I, I think he he ran. I, I think it was kind of a little bit of a combination of both. I think he ran a little bit a little bit high. I think Larson also missed corner a little bit. But uh, again, Denny Denny didn't back down, and I and I can't blame him for it either because again, you know, he, he's going out. He, he's racing for wins and. Um, you know, they, they got close to each other or touched. Danny believes that they didn't touch. Kyle obviously believes that they did touch. Um, they just said they got very close together. The air kind of made the, made the hood flaps buckle a little bit. But regardless, whether they hit or they didn't hit, it still essentially had the same impact. Um, you know, Larson, you know, either, you know, bounced off Hamlet and went to the wall or, or in Denny's case got really tight and went into the wall. So Denny basically said, well, either, either lift or hit the wall. And Larson hit the wall. So... Um, yeah, I mean, do I, I, I mean, I can't blame Larson for, for really not lifting either because if he does lift, then there's no saying that he's going to get another shot at him. Like, yeah, there's six to go, but, um, well, I mean, obviously I guess like Justin Haley crashed and that, and that was a separate incident. So I guess like I, in hindsight, he would have gotten another chance at him, but in that moment of time, you don't know if you're going to get another chance. Right. But, um, so he, he raced hard, but obviously, you know, Larson felt he got used up. But um, like I said, in, in, in that in, in that situation, I mean, nobody's going to give an inch of ground while, while battling for the win. And obviously, it, it's kind of controversial because, you know, the last time Denny won a race, his other winner for the season was Kansas. At the same time, it was another Kyle Larson. Um, Denny handled battle, obviously, um, kind of different, different circumstances there. I mean, just I think that was, you know, just – I, I mean, I think the Kansas situation was a lot cleaner than the Pocono situation. Like, uh, I'm not going to deny that 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 Denny didn't use him up because I think he did use him up. But at the same time, I think if you're if you're Denny Hamlin, you have to use him up. I mean, you got to do whatever you got to do to to win the race. Denny's not going to lift. Kyle's not going to lift. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people are probably on on team Kyle Larson for this because I guess you know the common denominator for 
a lot of these incidents lately have been Denny Hamlin, whether it's racing for the win or racing for 10th or whatever. But, um, you know, I think it's okay, though, to have, to have a bad guy. It's, it's okay to always have a villain. You know, I know Denny's not really taking a whole lot of responsibility for it. And, you know, it's, I mean, I, I, I get both sides to that, too, because obviously, you know, Kyle Larson fans are, you know, or just anti-Denny Hamlin people want Hamlin to take responsibility for it. But I think what also makes NASCAR so great is having some of those villains like Denny Hamlin. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I think in my opinion, um, no matter what side you're on, I think it's, it's, just, it's good racing. It's good. It, it's good NASCAR things, right? Like it's, these are the storylines that you want to be able to talk about racing like that gets people talking about the sport. So, um, all in all, I think, I think it's a win for NASCAR because, um, it was a great ending to a great race. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Denny Hamlin came out on top of that, but, um, now if you're Kyle Larson, um, you know, now that it's been a couple of times where, where those two have gotten together, now he has to think about, okay, you know, am I going to race Denny Hamlin a little bit differently? And, 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 and he probably should because, um, and, and he said he probably will too. He's going to be, he's going to race more aggressive and, um, you know, not give him, not give Denny an interim either. And, and obviously the two are, the, the two are pretty good friends. So, uh, I don't think it's going to like hurt people's feelings. Like it's not going to hurt each other's feelings in terms of like a friendship, but, um, I think it's okay for those two to go back and forth a little bit. And, you know, if they get into a similar situation on, you know, on, on, on Sunday at Richmond, I fully expect Kyle Larson to, to run Denny Hamlin, you know, almost completely out of room and say, lifter hit the wall. So, um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Larson responds in the next few weeks. I certainly don't think, or I certainly know he won't go out and, and just clean him out because I know he's better than that too. But um, I think Denny will probably have something back going. So he will have some sort of payback in, in a more subtle form of just, you know, maybe getting around out of the room and, you know, the closing laps of a race here in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, but yeah, overall, I, I, I guess I side, I side with Hamlin on this beat because, um, he did what he had to do to win. No, that's for sure. I mean, we, I can't argue with the fact that, that they were both battling for the victory and with six to go. It's hard to make a pass at Pocono Raceway because Martin Truex Jr., let's not forget, he was running third to those two before the caution came out that resulted in that restart, and he couldn't even make a pass on them despite his tire advantage. So it just went to, goes to show that aerodynamics was a big factor as well. You know, if you were able to jump ahead on that restart, you could pretty much dictate the rest of the race um, as strong as both drivers' cars were. Now, initially, I was a little upset with what Danny was doing because I felt like he should have taken ownership of that, given his history with not just Kyle Larson, but other drivers. But when I thought about Kyle Larson's situation, not just for the fact of how he got his wins last year uh, at Watkins Glen in Fontana, but in a way, I kind of do blame Kyle Larson for the incident that happened on Sunday because you you pointed out a good uh, situation there, Nathan, where Kyle and Denny are friends. But you would be naive to kind of think that your friend's going to give you room on the racetrack. Uh, when you're an athlete, you're going to have that killer instinct attitude. I mean, if Magic Johnson thought Isaiah Thomas is going to let him get a three-point shot in the 1988 NBA Finals, you're, you're a fool. And Denny Hamlin's not going to give Kyle Larson like, hey, buddy, I know you washed up the racetrack. Let me give you a moment to get back down and then we can race each other on the long pond straight away. No, of course not. 
So, yes, I do think Kyle Larson has to race Denny much differently, you know, and quite frankly, I do pin this more on Kyle than on Denny at this point because Denny's consistently the way he is. He's not going to change his racing style, and uh, that's the reason why he's got 50 wins. You have to be a little bit merciless in NASCAR racing or any sport, and being that nice guy doesn't always get you the victory. Just look at Mark Martin, one of the greatest drivers in NASCAR history. And he was not known to be the most, uh, not to say aggressive driver. He is aggressive, but most folks will remember he will often be like, hey, you've got a better car, go past me. I'll get you later on in the race, which is all fine and gentlemanly, but it doesn't mean that later in the race, you're guaranteed to catch that driver who you let go by for like fourth place on lap 150 of a 400 lap race. Um, this, this style of NASCAR is different from the good old days that I grew up to clearly. But at the same time, I think, you know, Larson's a great driver. He's going to certainly get more of his share of wins, but I do think he needs to have more of a killer instinct attitude when it comes to, you know, racing against those that are his friends. I mean, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. will race him just as hard as Danny Hamlin does. Um, So, you know, I think Larson, it's healthy for him not to get too stewed up about it. Although um, that was, pr- again, on, on Sunday afternoon, if you saw the interview on, on USA and other sports outlets. Yeah, I mean, that's the most angriest I've seen Kyle Larson get, which is not that angry. But, you know, at the same time, I do think he needs to revisit his approach so that he doesn't get to that situation. But it is what it is. Richmond's coming up, which we'll talk about a little bit later on on podium perspectives. I do think he's not going to pay him back. I think he's just going to make passing him a little bit more difficult. And if he does have that car to use to, you know, do a little bit more pain trading, he'll do so. And, you know, given a few days after the, the race, I think that is a good thing for NASCAR to have a bit of this because let's be, let's face it, folks. Do we have any real on track rivalries right now? I mean, we had Ross Chastain and Danny Hamlin, but it wasn't like, consistent thing it was just like whenever Danny could get to Ross that was it so that's what makes stock car racing such a great sport you know I watched a lot of races this past week and to the of the 2004 season and you know Kurt Busch often seemed to be the public enemy number one against a lot of the the established drivers like Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon so you do need those kind of kinds of people um even if they're the ones that make you upset so Point example, Nathan's a Yankees fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. We think our teams are the greatest, and the other team is the enemy, which is totally okay. Uh, although this year we have nothing to brag about with our teams. So I guess we're both losers on that case, <laughs> unless we both are looking forward to the wild card race, which who knows, maybe something will happen on that. But yeah, I think that we're the fact we're talking about this as if it happened already um a few moments ago that tells you that this is going to be a moment we'll talk about as often as rusty and jeff from richmond in 1988 now another thing that that transpired on sunday was all the tempers that flared and uh, you know your folks at home got to see austin dylan try to throw his helmet at tyler reddick's car and um you know I, i would say that evening of the race once it concluded you know folks were sharing joey logano's outburst at the tow truck crew after his incident in turn one when he was collected in a crash nut of his cause um, when he was tangled up in an incident with Daniel Suarez 
I think Noah Gregson got a piece of it too, but he was able to drive through that incident. But Logano and Suarez got the worst of it with Suarez's car all mangled up. They tried to, you know, make repairs to it so that he could make a pass on the racetrack with Suarez and Logano. But unfortunately, unfortunately, in this case, Logano's car took a long time to get towed to pit road. And uh, I won't repeat his words from the radio transmission, but let's just say that if you've been stuck on, on behind interstate traffic in a major city, you could relate to Logano's frustration. So, you know, Nathan, I don't know if maybe the short track of Richmond was a week earlier. <laughs> you've been to Richmond, but anyways, you know, is Logano correct that NASCAR should reconsider its stance about having a spare tire um, to bolt onto a car that could drive its way to pit road, as opposed to having a tow truck situation where the crew may not understand what he's talking about, and then they lug it back to pit road incorrectly and therefore cost the driver a chance to try to salvage points? No, I mean, no, that's just, that's not feasible because when it comes to a multi-car crash or, yeah, a multi-car crash, then like, how are you going to determine, okay, which vehicle gets tires first? Are you going to reference points or something? Like, I I just don't think that's attainable. Like if, if, you know, if there's a 15 car crash at Daytona, um, it's just not, not, not feasible, not possible for, for them to do that for all 15 cars that might have flat spotted tires. However, I agree with him in fact that they need to still figure out a better way to go about it in some degree. Just that is not what what he said with replacing tires right down the track is not not. I mean, especially like then you got like guys running up bank up the banking on a hot racetrack trying to jack up a car. It it it's unsafe too. It just it's not possible. It, it's yeah, it's just not possible for for many reasons. So. Um, you know, I mean, I I still wouldn't mind um, seeing a, a redesign of the tire to include an inner liner. Like that's obviously been the big thing. Like the old cars, the Xfinity cars, the current the, the trucks, like they all have like an inner liner. So when the tires get flat spotted and go down, there's essentially like an inner well, there's like another tire inside the tire um, with a with another pocket of air that that kind of allows the the drivers to keep keep the wheels rolling towards pit road. But like with the next gen cars with all four tires, or even sometimes just just one or two tires get flat spotted, depending on how you kind of end up. If you lose all your momentum, you might not be able to get get going again because those those tires don't have inner liners. So um, it, it's kind of tough because I think that they're in a sweet spot right now with with figuring out tire wear at all these different tracks with all these different packages. Um, so I hate to see a complete tire redesign because that could potentially affect how tires wear out. Um, but they definitely need to, NASCAR needs to review it. Like, I hate saying that, oh, we need to make a change, but I don't know what that change should be. Um, and, and then, of course, there are just tough circumstances, too, of, of that crash on Sunday. You know, it's a turn one at a two-and-a-half-mile racetrack, so, it, you know, it, it's two-mile lug to pit road. Um, and then you can't really just take them backwards a short way because you're shortcutting the course. So um, I, I think it's something that NASCAR is going to continue to review, but bringing tires out onto the racetrack and um, jacking cars up right there and changing them. No, I, that, that's, that's not going to be the way to go. There, there's too many, too many issues with that. Yeah. I mean, that's also not a re- realistic situation. Cause like you said, if we do have a big one, that's kind of a situation where trying to allocate those tires to 
hey, I think so-and-so's car looks, you know, they look like they can get back to pit road. Let's give them those tires. Or, hey, he's seven place in points. His car is all screwed up looking, but, you know, we want to get him back to pit road. That that will get really complicated in quite a hurry. Um, as far as the situation on Sunday is concerned, though, I think that if they were able to put him on a flatbed truck rather than dragging the car, uh, like what happened to Mike Skinner in Talladega in 1999, you know, that would be a better situation to say, all right, we're going to put you on a flatbed and then we'll, you know, crank out the truck uh, with the car once we get to your pit stall. I think that'd be more fair. Um, I think it's just a case too, where Joey was just extremely frustrated that, you know, he won stage one, then he lost all that track position because, you know, they elected to go for the stage and playoff points as opposed to short pitting uh, during stage one, giving up those points, and but then having great track position in stage two because he had a really fast number 22 Verizon frontline Ford Mustang. But, you know, it's been a really frustrating championship defense for Logano in 2023. You know, they're they're having a lot more inconsistencies, but, you know, they were like this last year. But with only one win in the bag, they're, they're going to be in. But I know he's, I would imagine he's not feeling the greatest about, hey, you know, we're in prime position to basically duplicate our efforts last year. So it is, it's a situation where I think Joey was just more bummed out about what went on and um, also <laughs> dropped some entertaining thoughts about it. I don't think he, for fans who were saying he should get suspended, I think it's easy to say that, um, not realizing that it's the heat of a moment, you will, you would probably be upset too, no matter how mild bannered you are. Now that we've talked about all the angst at Pocono, let's talk about a milestone moment that happened on Saturday afternoon in the CRC Brake Lean 150 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race. Now, Kyle Bush. Prior to the race, I wouldn't say he had the greatest starting position. And he was, I think he started 12th place. And his trucks really haven't been quick this season, especially since they switched from Toyota to Chevrolet, of course, because of Kyle Busch moving from the Toyota Joe Gibbs camp to the Richard Childers Racing Chevrolet camp. Anywho, you know, Bush won earlier this year at Las Vegas, but in between that time and Pocono, He's got a couple of second place finishes and the seventh, I think, at Kansas. He has been, you know, kind of upset with the lack of pace in the trucks uh, for his team. But on Saturday afternoon, he looked more like the Kyle Busch of old. Um, he, he didn't dominate, but on the last lap, he was able to make this really smart cunning move on Corey Heim in the tunnel turn. And he stole the victory from Heim, who dominated the race outside of Zane Smith winning stages one and two. You know, and it was the 100th victory for the KBM organization, Kyle Busch Motorsports. I know that Bush had been pursuing this relentlessly. When I was at Coda, he was disappointed to come up short. Um, you know, William Byron had a chance to get it at Darlington. He came up short, but at least the team owner, the man behind KBM, got that victory out of the way. You know, is this a milestone victory, Nathan, that, you know, I know folks have started to finally, you know, like Kyle Busch. But is this something that we're not going to fully appreciate until Kyle Busch hangs up the helmet? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because when Kyle Busch does things at the racetrack now, like fans cheer for him. Like it, like it's <laughs> it's crazy. Like it's weird. Like I'm not 
I'm not used to hearing that. Like, he got cheered in driver intros. He, they were cheering him like crazy when he came to the checkered flag in the truck race. Um, but to your point, yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, I think it's something that, um, you know, fans aren't going to appreciate until, you know, maybe long after he's gone. I mean, especially when you think about the fact that the truck series schedule is much shorter than the Cup series schedule. I mean, it's hard to win 100 races for any, you know, any race scene. But, I mean, 100 races when, you know, you're essentially racing – maybe like 60% of the Cubs schedule, that, that, that makes it even more impressive. And, and yeah, I mean, obviously they, it's been a little bit of a tough year for them with that switch, but I think, I think growing pains were, were certainly expected, you know, and I think that he knew that they weren't going to come right in and be, um, you know, set the world on fire right away. Like I think he, he said he was, you know, pretty encouraged at, and this is from his press conference on Friday. He said he was pretty encouraged after uh, Las Vegas with their speed, but um, since uh, they've just been off on in, in the speed department a little bit, but again, I think I think that's expected with a big switch like that. So, um, you know, I think they're headed in the right direction um, for sure. But but a really cool accomplishment and cool that it was Kyle Busch to be able to get that hundredth win. And um, we got super lucky because all three races this weekend had pretty awesome finishes. Um, you know, two last lap passes essentially on Saturday. Um, well, I guess I'm trying to or close to last lap if you're gonna. For, for Xfinity, I'm trying to remember exactly when that pass happened, but um, I mean, that, with the truck race, I mean, I, I thought going into turn one, I thought there was zero, zero chance Kyle Busch was going to be able to get there. I mean, Hine was pulling away, but I don't really know. I mean, I think, obviously Bush made a very smart, witty move in, in, in the title turn there, but also I think I think Corey Hine must have missed the corner a little bit, too, because uh, Kyle made up, like, an insane amount of ground you know, in a very short period of time. Like, I thought Haim had an issue. Like, I thought he broke or something. So, um, but, hey, that's that's a, uh, a two-time Cup Series champion for you. And kind of ironic for Corey Haim because he's won a couple of races for KPM himself last uh, – itself last year, back when uh, when he was racing part-time for them. So, um, now that uh, that they're racing against each other, he got, uh, he got beat by his old boss in, in route to 100 wins for KPM. So, um, great race though, a really awesome truck race on, on Saturday. Yeah, I love the truck race because that was just suspenseful. You know, for a while, like Zane Smith was going to win, and then he got caught. He got caught up in that big fourteen truck accident in turn one, and then it looked like Corey Heim was going to win the race because he was arguably the next best truck. But then Kyle Busch, turning to his bag of trickery and, and veteran experience, he was able to make that. Who's going to blink first? Turn two move in the tunnel turn and. That was just that was so impressive to see him do that. And uh, the thing that's going to make it special for him, too, is that Kyle Busch Motorsports down the road, that's going to be Brexton Bush's team, you know, when he's old enough to race in the truck series. And I know Kyle Busch has mentioned that, you know, once Brexton's of age or getting close to of age to race in the truck series, he, he imagines winding down his career in the truck series full time where he could probably be a teammate to his son. And then eventually his son could take over the ride um, once he can race at the super speedways at age 18. So, you know, that's the year 2030 something, which is crazy to think that that's we're close to that moment in time. But for now we still have Kyle Busch doing all these great things. And now the folks are appreciating it. Yeah. It is weird, Nathan, that people are cheering on Kyle Busch just because it wasn't long before that people booed him uh, for doing the same things he's doing right now. But um, I think it's a, it's a, in wrestling, as they say, it's like the, the heel turns face 
I hope I got that right. I don't watch wrestling, folks, but um, the bad guy has become the good guy, if you will. Um, and Kyle Bush is finally getting the respect he deserves for his accomplishments. Maybe that will happen to Danny Hamlin, too, down the road. Who knows? Now you know what time it is, folks, on Podium Perspectives here on TPF Live. You know what it is. It's winning time. And in this case here, we're going to name our picks to win the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Worldwide Express 250 at Richmond Raceway, whose defending winner is Chandler Smith. But he's not going to be able to defend that victory because he is going to be at Road America for the NASCAR Xfinity Series Henry 180 in which Ty Gibbs is defending race winner, but he won't be there either. So that means he's going to be racing on Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series cookout for 100 at Richmond Raceway. And the defending winner who will be in this event is Kevin Harvick. See what I did there, folks? It was all sequential. So Nathan, of course, you go ahead and take the lead on your picks because I'm sure you've been thinking pretty uh, methodically as to who could win these races. Yeah, so we'll start with the truck series race and some short track racing over there at Richmond. I'll go, I'll go with Corey Heim. You know, he really only needs a handful of points to lock up the regular season championship, which is also pretty impressive because he missed a race for illness, too. Um, and he still has, like, a close to 40-point lead, I think, in the regular season. So, Barnes something catastrophic, he will lock that up. But, you know, he won a Barnesville earlier in the year. I'll go with Corey Heim. Uh, for Xfinity at Road America, I'm going to go with A.J. Allendinger, which, well, I don't really know why A.J.'s in this race. Like, I mean, obviously, I, I get it because, you know, he's a great road course racer and maybe the best road course racer in NAFTA right now. But from the standpoint of he's 17th in cup points right now, the cup series is in Richmond. He's only a few points below the cut line. I don't really know why a colleague would have him go out to Road America and do the Xfinity race. Uh, not practice and qualify his cup car and, and have him come from the rear on Sunday at, at Richmond. Uh, I know he kind of did something similar last year with Gateway and um, in Portland, but um, at that time he wasn't he wasn't full-time in the Cup Series either, so it, it was more okay. But with, with AJ in the in the playoff fight, not sure why Collins is doing that, but you know he I think he, he's obviously the best road course racer in that field, so I'll go with him on Saturday. And then on Sunday, ooh, I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin to go back-to-back. You know, Pocono is one of his best tracks. Richmond is also one of his best tracks as well. He won the spring racer last year. Um, that's his home track. So, I you know, he definitely feels a little bit more comfortable uh, racing in front of the home, the home, the hometown fans. Um, so, uh, we'll go with Denny Hamlin to get a second in a row and his third of the season. Some solid picks for this weekend's NASCAR races, and I uh, certainly think you'll probably be right on the nose with most of those. So I'm going to try to challenge you on those, to say the least. So starting off with this Saturday night truck race at Richmond, you know, I think when it comes to the playoff bubble, because we're going to be going to the postseason here really shortly here, folks. I'm going to go a little bit unorthodox with my pick. I'm going to see Matt Benedetto gets it done on Saturday night. You know, if he really wants to solidify a playoff spot, not stress too much, victories are always good. And um, he's he's won before in the truck series at Talladega. Um, and he was a pretty decent short track racer when he was in the cup series. So I'll say him, I'm at the Benedetto to win on Saturday night with the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet Silverado. And then earlier on Saturday, of course, the Xfinity Series race, 
Unfortunately, I'm not going to go disagree with Nathan on this one. I will pick AJ Allmendinger to win the Xfinity Series race. Again, I too kind of wonder why he will be at Road America rather than, you know, focus on the number 16 cup car. But I'm guessing that this is more of a, hey, we need somebody to get this number 10 car, which has no full-time driver, you know, a good chance to win some money get us some assurances about, hey, you know, we're going to have some funding available for our program. Why not go with the guy who uh, can certainly get the job done on that front? So AJ is my pick for the Henry 180 at Road America. And then on Sunday afternoon for the cup race, this one's a tough one just because of the fact that in the spring race, it was nice, cool conditions. And on Sunday night, uh, Sunday afternoon's race, rather, it's going to be pretty steamy close to 100 degrees, the track's going to be pretty slick because it hasn't been repaved in many years, and the tires are bound to wear out much faster than they did in the spring race. So I think this is a case where you got to be able to short pit, you know, take advantage of fresh rubber, but also hang on for dear life in stage two to keep up with a car that can be adjusted as opposed to left out to dry. Now in the spring, we know that Kyle Larson was able to win, but um, I think he did parlay some strategy to get that victory. He did have a good car, but it wasn't the most dominant car. So as much as I'd like to say Kyle Larson for the win on Sunday, I am going to go a bit differently here. And I'm going to say Brad Keselowski wins on Sunday afternoon because RFK Racing has been on the up and up as of late. I know they didn't get the finish they were looking for at Pocono, but in terms of short tracks, RFK Racing has been pretty solid all year long and there's no better place to get a victory for Brad Keselowski as the next race which is Richmond so I think car number six is going to be the number one car when it's all said and done on Sunday afternoon now folks what do you think of our picks do you think we've got it right on the money let us know by tweeting or threading up to us at nsolly02 for Nathan Solomon's accounts Mine, of course, are Rob Tiongson. And then at the podium finish, that's our general handle, whether it's Instagram, uh, Instagram threads or Twitter. We're still getting used to this whole thing. Twitter, X, who the heck knows? But socials, we're, it's all the same. And if we pick your response and you happen to pick all the right winning drivers for the race weekend, before the races, of course, folks, we will personally send you over a 2023 164 diecast car from spoilerdiecast.com. So get to it, folks. Make your picks now and see if you are going to be lucky and getting all three picks correct. Now, with that, folks, let's head to the hot seat. And this week's hot seat is pretty fun because it's not often that you get the most recent winner from a race to be on the TPF hot seat the week after their victory. So I'll let Nathan take the lead on this one because he got to speak to the winner of the Xfinity Series race before he even won. So Nathan, why don't you tell us about your interview with Austin Hill? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, obviously I have to preface that it was recorded on Friday. It was recorded before he went out and won Saturday's Xfinity Series race. But basically everything from the interview still applies. But yep, I got a chance to catch up with Austin Hill before uh, Saturday's 
explore the Pocono Mountains 225 at Pocono Raceway. Obviously, Austin Hill um, in a battle for the regular season championship right now with John Hunter Nemechek. And it's kind of neat because, um, you know, we have um, two really good battles for the regular season championship right now in both Xfinity and Cup. I mean, um, uh, on the Xfinity Series side, I mean, uh, John Hunter Nemechek and Austin Hill are just kind of going back and forth. I mean, John Hunter won two races around that. Austin Hill struck right back and won one. Obviously, in Cup, we got a great battle between um, Tru- Martin Truex Jr. and William Byron as well. Those two guys kind of going back and forth on winning races, too. But uh, I'd love to highlight the Xfinity Series. So, uh, without further ado, uh, right now, number two in points in the Xfinity Series, driver of the number 21 for Richard Childress Racing, Austin Hill, here in the hot. Just to start, um, you know, just how would you evaluate you know, 2023? Well, we started off the year, obviously, with a bang with three wins in the first five. And... Uh, then we had a little bit of a, uh, you know, slow going for the next few. Um, nothing really to our doing, just got caught up in wrecks and things like that. We still had pretty good speed in our car. And then we got a, got on a good streak of top fives, top tens. Um, seemed like we've been running inside the top five a lot. Uh, one area that we're still really trying to figure out and focus on really hard is our short track program. New Hampshire, we were probably about a... I don't know, maybe an eighth to tenth place car last last week, and <clears throat> with just attrition and wrecks and things like that, we were able to come home with a third place. So, um, you know, we're still doing everything we need to do on the racetrack. Uh, you know, trying to get track position when it matters and trying to stay up front, uh, especially at the end of these races when it matters. But we've kind of lost a little bit of points to the twenty, so uh, we got to kind of get that back going forward. They've been really well uh, all season, and we've been good, but they've been probably great um so we need to get more on the side of being being great instead of good and i think we can run with them each and every week we're just missing these little minor details here and there in our chevy camaros winning three of the first five like you mentioned how that just kind of get that momentum rolling here this year yeah i mean it, it definitely got the momentum rolling for sure um i think the biggest thing that kind of got us our momentum more than anything was winning at las vegas just because the other races we had won out were super speedway style drafting tracks so to win on a on a mile and a half it just showed that that we have the capability of doing it that you know we we have the cars to do it and um we've been really close all year this year on you know getting that fourth win but we're just you know at the very end of these races we're just missing that little bit extra you know that last adjustment we need just to be a little bit better to have a shot at these wins you know we've been running solidly inside the top five or so a lot of the time but when it comes to the end of these things we seem to just fall off just a little bit towards the very end so um so yeah but we we still have a ton of momentum on our side we have a lot of confidence this whole organization everybody at rcr and this 21 bunch has a lot of uh, confidence in each other and, and i think that's one reason why you see us if we aren't running great at the start of the race we we make it better and we get better throughout the race um we just need that one extra little adjustment uh, you know, we're kind of one adjustment away of getting back in victory lane, I feel like. You guys have been really consistent this year. I mean, 14 top 10s in 18 races. Your average running position is 8.8, which is, I think, second in the series. So um, what's been the key to that? Has it just been limiting mistakes? Yeah, you know, we say it every week on on the radio before we go green. You know, um, it's one thing that I always kind of keen on is, um, you know, when I key up, I'm like, hey, let's have a great day today. Everybody do their job in the pits. Let's have great pit stops and uh, minimize mistakes all day, be there at the end, and that's kind of my motto I kind of go with each and every race. And uh, pit crew's been on it all year. You know, even if we aren't having the, the best weekend, 
perhaps and, and say we're running tenth, they normally pick me up three or four spots, and that just helps the whole situation. So it's a whole team effort. Everybody at uh, RCR, the pit crew, uh, ECR engines, and then um, you know, like you said, minimizing mistakes and when people do make mistakes, pouncing on their mistakes that they make and, and um, you know salvaging finishes that we might not have should should have got. Um, but you know, we're there at the end when it matters. And obviously, you mentioned the super speedway stuff. That's obviously been your strong suit since you've been here at RCR. Um, you got that first non-super speedway win there at, at Las Vegas. So, like, do you, how do you view like super speedway stuff now? Like, I know that wasn't always like your favorite thing before. How do you view it now? And how does it like? What, what does it mean just to, you know have that success on on some of the other non-super speedways as well? Yeah. So the super speedway stuff. Uh, you know, when I first started running, uh, I, I despised running on super speedways because felt like a lot of it was just being in the right place right time and uh, a lot of a little bit of luck on your side and and things like that and just missing the big one when it happens and and hopefully you you get there to the end and you have a shot at it but yeah over the last two years my my mindset's changed a little bit I go into the weekend with a lot better mindset that um that we feel like we're we're the ones to beat and that we have a really fast um 21 Chevrolet Camaro and uh, you know we're the only ones that can beat ourselves and uh, it's shown throughout the year. This year, you know, Talladega, we had a really good car. Uh, got caught up in a wreck, unfortunately, and that, that kind of ended our day. And then same thing in Atlanta. We had a really good car at Atlanta. Just didn't have anybody working with me, which was uh, a little frustrating. But um, we were still going to have a shot at it there at the end and then got turned. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, when we go to these Super Studios, my confidence level is already really high. It, it gets notched up just that extra little bit when we go to the Super Speedways just because I know how fast we are. And then, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, going going to that mile and a half at Las Vegas and getting the win <clears throat> boosted my confidence personally just knowing that, all right, I can win on other tracks other than, than Super Speedways, which I always knew I could. I mean, I've won on the truck series. I won a lot of different uh, racetracks, road courses, um, you know, your short tracks, your, uh, your mile and a half, Super Speedways, um, dirt, um, all that. So, so I knew I could do it, and I knew I could win on – a lot of different various racetracks. Um, just going out there and doing it on the Xfinity level and getting it on the mile and a half uh, meant a lot to me. So going forward, our, our next goal and our next task at hand is trying to get a short track win. Well, obviously, you know, regular season championship, I'm sure, is one of your goals. So how, how important would it be for you guys to, to win that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's huge because it's 15 extra bonus points that you can take into the playoffs, and it, it, it allows you to be 15 bonus points ahead of, every, you know, the rest of your competition um, when you start start at zero again so uh yeah that's one of been one of my biggest uh concerns throughout the season is, is trying to get the regular season championship trying to get stage wins when we can uh, because all those points add up and then obviously winning a race you get five extra bonus points so uh, we're trying to rack up as many stage points as we can as many wins as we can trying to get the regular season because we know that if we have a little issue say in the round of 12 or round of eight we have some some points to fall back on whereas Last year we didn't have as many points to fall on, so uh, that's kind of where our head's at right now. Obviously, John Hunter's won two in a row, so I'm sure that's frustrating for you guys. But um, kind of, how do you view the race with you and him? Because it's really just you two right now. You kind of focus on what he's doing, or is it more just you know run your own race and you know see what happens? Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of focus on myself, kind of focus on our own race, and um, you know we're doing the best we can uh, each and every stage, trying to trying to run up front. Now, don't get me wrong. At the end of a stage, if I see that we finished fifth and I don't see him on the list I'm like all right well that's five five more points that I got for us and that he didn't get so 
don't it's not like I don't look at it when the when the stage ends, but when we're in the moment we're racing, I'm not I'm not sitting there like all oh, the twenties in the lead and I'm running fifth, I need to do XYZ to try to get up there and, and get by them. Um, because I think there is a, you know, you can over overdo it and you can try too hard and then you end up making mistakes, Where whereas earlier I was talking about minimizing mistakes. You just got to stay focused on your own team, focused on what you're doing, and hopefully it, it pans out. But the Gibbs cars have just been really good this year. As you try to track them down, how do you kind of manage taking some of those risks? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like Pocono, for example, this weekend. A lot of people will flip stages and things like that. And um, you know, if we're in a if we're in a spot where we can get a stage win, we're going to have to try to go get a stage win just because um, that stage win can help us when we get in the playoffs. Now, when we come in and pit and we go back out, we might restart 20th and we got to drive back up through the field. And, and stage two might not go the way we want it, but hopefully we can kind of get back on the swing of things in stage three and still have a shot at winning. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, a lot of different strategies that, that come into play. Um, that my crew chief and I talk about at the end of the day, he's the one that's making the ultimate decision in the call. So, um, but yeah, I feel like we've done pretty good on strategy throughout the year. Um, but there, there are some areas that we can work on to do a little bit better to try to try to maximize our stage points, getting the stage wins, things like that. That'll help us kind of close back in on the twenty. Uh, you're two now with with Andy as your crew chief. So, how has that relationship kind of grown and evolved over these from year one to year two? No, it's been good. You know, we. It always seems like the first year with a new team, you're trying to figure each other out, figure out what I what I need in the car when I say I'm loose or say I'm tight. Like, what does that mean on a number scale? Like, do I need to be freed up two rounds or do I need to be freed up four rounds? Like, what is that number? So um, we we definitely I think that's one reason why we've run so much so much better and more consistent this year. <clears throat> so we had that full year under our belt. Now we're going into year two. Um, and when I say certain things, he's kind of understanding now uh, what I mean by that. Um, so there's there's a lot of confidence within our whole group and b- between me and him. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can bounce ideas off each other with and look at SMT and talk about this or that. You know, you know, you're getting beat here. Why is that? Like, what's the car doing that's not allowing you to get in the corners fast? That type of thing. So. Um, just our communication, everything's kind of opened up throughout last year and this year, and I think it's what's made us uh, run more, a lot more consistent this season. And you mentioned short track speed as, as one of your guys' weaknesses, but um, where do you guys feel you're at with speed this year compared to last? I know a lot of the Chevy guys outside of uh, the JRM group kind of were a little bit frustrated with, with where Chevy speed was at. I mean, I think we're we're not at a terrible spot. I, I think we're I think for us personally, we're a little bit better better this year. On the short tracks than we were last year. Last year we struggled a lot on uh, short track stuff. So I feel like this year we're a lot better off on on our short track package. And then um, you know our super speedways, Mona House as a whole. I think we have been pretty good um, for the most part. Um, but the Gibbs cars are really good each and every week. They're the ones that I think are top of the charts each and every week. Now the double zero is starting to come into play. The 98's been really good this year. So you got the fours that are that are pretty good as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we got a little bit of catching up to do, but I don't think we're as far off as maybe some people think. Um, obviously, about two months to the playoffs. Is there anything kind of just top of mind that you guys as a 21 team want to clean up, or are you pretty satisfied with where you guys are at, just kind of continuing everything that you guys are doing? Well, I think we're, we're, we're doing really well on minimizing our mistakes, like we talked about. Um, Pit crew's been excellent. Uh, the biggest thing is just the biggest thing we want to clean up on is, is our short track package. You know, just trying to get better with that because we know that we're a little behind there, especially compared to the Gibbs cars or even uh, the Stuart Haas cars. 
Um, you know, we just think we're a little off with, with what they have versus what we have. And, um, you know, they're able to do different things with their car than what we can do. And um, we're just kind of working through that right now. We're trying to get the front ends working better. We're trying to get the rear of the car and the racetrack a little bit better. There's different packages that we've been running each and every week to try to uh, hone in on. But um, it's starting to get to that point of the season where we're going to have to start figuring out, do we want to go this direction with our package or do we want to go that direction with our package? And uh, once we kind of figure out which direction we want to go, we can really start honing in on what little adjustments we can make to be a little bit better on the short track because I think ultimately that's what's going to separate um, winning the championship and not is being really good on you know your Martinsville, your your Phoenix, especially going into Phoenix. Um, we, we got better this year, but we definitely need to step it up a little bit more to, to, to get ahead of those Gibbs cars. I mean, just last thing, with the championship, of course, top of mind, what do you need to do you know, on track or personally to put yourself in the best position to achieve? <coughs> well, um, it seems like each and every year I always get through that first round okay. Um, you know, with, with us having this, the stage points and all that we normally have, then I have some stuff to fall back on and it always seems like the first round where, with the tracks that, that are on the lineup always suit us pretty well. And then when we get into that round of eight, the, the final three races before the cutoff, um, it always seems like we have like one bad race, whether it's at Martinsville or wherever, wherever it's at, we always seem to have one bad race that ends up separating us on making it or missing it by five or six points. So I think that's one area that we just got to be, when, it, when it's game time and it's time for these playoffs to start, we have to be ready to perform each and every race. We got to keep doing what we're doing on, on track where you know, even if we're not running the best, we still get the finish uh, there at the end that, that we might not have deserved, but we, we just made it work and we figured it out at the end. Um, and we just, we got to do a little bit better on, on our stage point stuff. And I think that if we can do all those things, then we'll be a, a threat for sure. And that was Austin Hill with R. Nathan Solomon from Pocono Raceway a day before his victory. So great job, Nathan, on that interview with Austin Hill, who also was a guest on our show not long ago, about a year ago during the Watkins Glen race weekend. So always good to have Hill on the program. And of course, when it comes to that, he is always welcome to be back on our show. So our thanks, of course, to Austin Hill for taking time to be on our podcast, of course. And then our thanks to Richard Childers Racing, in particular, with the number 121 team making that happen with Samantha Jones. So thank you so much to RCR and everybody over there for making that interview possible. And then to cap off this week's edition of Hot Seat, we're going to bring you back to the Team Hornaday Development Camp, of course, run by Candace and Ron Hornaday Jr. And on this edition of Hot Seat with the THD driver, we've got a sensational driver who has made his way into the Cars Pro Late Model Series. He's a young driver who hails from the great state of Michigan. And his name, of course, is Luke Mori. Great young driver, you know, certainly a very respectful young man who, like most of us, I'm sure like Nathan, like me, you know, our dad, our dads rather, loved racing. And it's no surprise that Luke's father inspired his love of racing. And Luke right now, you know, he's looking to basically just diversify his efforts, be the most well-rounded race car driver that he can be. And it's a really fun interview that I was able to do with him recently. So with that, folks, I'd love to introduce you all to Luke Mori here 
on TPF's hot seat. You grew up in the Wolverine State, which is home to a lot of talented drivers like the Keselowskis, of course, Johnny Benson Jr., Jack Sprague, Tim Steele. I can go on and on about this, of course, but how did you become interested in racing and who were some of your favorite drivers when you were growing up? Uh, I became interested in racing um, mainly because my dad, he ran dirt modifieds, dirt late models and sprint cars a little bit on dirt um, all throughout Michigan and Ohio. So um, that really, ever since I was born, uh, every race, every weekend I'd be going to a racetrack watching him. So uh, that's really how I got um, interested in it. And um, he ended up making a series called mini wedges, which is like a go-kart with a cage around it and a full body. So um, I think that series is still going on up there right now, but uh, he ended up making that for me to get my start and I ended up doing really good in that. So um, really just him and my favorite drivers that kind of came up there, are probably Eric Jones. He's one I really look up to. Um, I get to race with him a little bit um, now, like this year and last year, I got to race him a little bit. So that's definitely one of them. For sure. I can't forget about that Jones boy, of course, from Byron Township. He's a really talented driver and has done a lot of good things for Michigan, for sure. And Is it safe to say, you know, here, Luke, that your dad's probably your number one hero as far as life and motorsports is concerned? Yeah, definitely. That's really cool. And I love that aspect about motorsports is the, the familial relationships and the bonds that are formed whether at home or actually like in your position uh, as a driver and him sharing that love of racing with you. And it's pretty evident you love it yourself too. For someone like me, who's just getting to know about you and your great racing efforts, what are three words that you would use to describe your, your way of driving uh, in a late model or dirt late modified? Like how would you describe your style? Um, first one that pops up is probably just patience because I know that's what you need especially today and um, the cars tour races, the long late model races, it's just being really patient. Um, actually just, yeah, just patience is really big in late model racing because it's hundred laps or more usually. So you just have to be patient and know that your time's going to come sometime in the hundred laps. Um, aggressive is definitely another one. I'm not, I don't want people to know me to be aggressive, but um, definitely racing today, you need to be a little bit more on the aggressive side, but that, Patience definitely will fix aggressiveness too. Just having that patience. A third one. I can't really think of a third one. Just mainly those two. That's fair. I think ebb and flow balance certainly helps. Easier yeah. said than done, of course, because it's like being in the kitchen. When the heat gets a little too high, you either want to get out of there or you're going to stick with it, knowing that, hey, we're going to see it through and see what the heck happens after this. Um, but no, that's really cool. And Let's actually talk about racing in the Cars Pro Late Models series, because honestly, in the last year and a half or two, at least when Dale Jr., Jeff Burton, Kevin Harvick, they all got involved, it really revitalized this division. I mean, there's a lot more interest in it. A lot of NASCAR Cup drivers racing in these, these runoffs or multiple races. I mean, we saw that with North Wilkesboro and all, and, you know, that's pretty cool that you get to race alongside you, too. What does it mean to be able to sharpen your skills and sharpen your knives, as you, if you will, against these people that you probably looked up to or like thinking, man, I hope I get I get to race these guys in the future. Yeah, it was really cool. North Wilkesboro is definitely a really cool week. Um, just pulling out of the track and seeing all the Cup Series banners and walking into the track, seeing Cup drivers walking in next to me is just really cool. The whole atmosphere, even though in the pro late model class for Noble Wilkesboro, we didn't have a lot of um, big names in the, in the race, but 
um, having the super late models and late model stocks there with multiple cup drivers in both series was really cool. Um, I got to talk to a lot of them and just meet a lot of new people and a lot of stars and people that I look up to. For sure. And it's it's got to be sort of a like a starstruck moment, too, because you're no longer just a fan here, Luke. You're you're one of them, actually. So even if you're not in the NASCAR Cup Series, racers are racers. So it's really cool. I'm sure that you got to mingle with them, probably get to do a little bit of networking. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, because not only is it important for you to develop your skills behind the wheel, you know, how important would you say networking is in this industry, um, especially being a part of the team Hornaday development? Yeah, networking, marketing is huge. Um, before I joined Team Hornaday, uh, my dad's just really big in that. So he's always telling me to just post on social media and just be active and network with other drivers. Every time I go to a racetrack or every time I'm after a race and I'm running with some guys, I need to go up to them and just shake their hand afterwards and say that was fun or just talk to them a little bit. So I think networking is really big. And that's something that Team Hornaday definitely teaches all of us drivers to just go out there and market ourselves and put ourselves out there and network with other drivers. That's definitely key. And I think that's great advice that they you've learned so far from the development camp and just a lot of these things that I really feel carries over once you make it to the big leagues and wherever you want to be, whether that's, you know, the NASCAR series or the top echelon of dirt racing, there's just, so much indelible experiences to be built during this phase of your career. Let's actually talk about being a part of Team Horn today. You know, what are a few things you have learned so far from running Candace that you feel has made you a better driver and a better person? Um, definitely just the drive of just um, working every day, just working hard, doing workouts. Um, they're doing a program with us drivers right now. Just we're doing a run just to try to gain muscle weight or some other drivers lose weight. Um, we're always big into fitness and stuff. So it definitely teaches me a lot. For sure. And have you been learning a bit about the restart skills that Ron has been infamous for as a NASCAR truck champion? Yeah, he told me that like two years ago whenever I first joined the team and still um, every few times I'll see him, he'll always talk about it, just his restarts. That's what he was known for. So it's definitely really cool to be able to call him or text him or even just go up to his house not far down from where I live and just go talk to him about the restarts. They definitely help. That's so cool. And How neat is that to learn from one of the masters of not only stock car and stock truck competition, but someone who just has that great reaction time because – you know, it's certainly something I know he learned from the great Dale Earnhardt Sr. and a lot of drivers that he raced against in the West Coast. So it's so cool to see him pay it forward and you're learning from him as well. Um, let me ask you this. If someone was trying to learn more about you and say, hey, hey, Luke, whose driving style would you be reminiscent of? Like whose driving style would you say inspires you? Uh, probably just first one that popped up probably eric jones again because he's um he's just really i i think just watching him race for the past few years he's really clean um he's he's aggressive if he needs to be aggressive um and he's obviously a really good race car driver he's fast um yeah just overall just really patient you can see him whenever he won the southern 500 a few years ago just patient throughout the whole race it's just really patient and aggressive i think that's what i how i drive 
I love that. And yes, he's definitely one of the best drivers when it comes to just biding his time, managing the tires, you know, keeping the intensity in check until it really matters. And yes, you're for sure right. I mean, he he showed that in 2019 and in last year's Southern 500 at Darlington, which definitely will either make someone feel pretty terrible about themselves or feel like, man, I can do anything <laughs> after a really long race there. So that's really cool. I know that you're a young driver. You're only 15, you know, still a long ways to go. But what would you consider to be your welcome to racing moment that makes you laugh or smile? Um, I'm not too sure. Probably probably just going to the car store because our first few pro late model races was straight up to the big league in the car store. And um, we got welcomed by a lot of people. Just it's all really close community. Um, even dirt racing too, just I'll go on off weekends to a dirt race, like some world of outlaw or Lucas Oil dirt, dirt races, and they're all, they'll all welcome you in. That's just really cool how close the racing community is. That's really cool. And I especially have heard some great things about the dirt racing community and just how, you know, at home it is, but when it fits behind the wheel, it's just as intense as the major stock car asphalt series for sure. And you know, I think it's really fascinating that young drivers like yourself are being multidisciplined about, you know, it's not just about being good on the blacktop. You've got to be good on the dirt tracks as well. I mean, for someone getting to know about you or just learning about motorsports from this podcast or the article that they're going to read here in a few weeks, why is it so important for someone like you to know how to race on a dirt track and, you know, be good at an asphalt? How do those two kind of pair up and help a driver like you? I think it helps a lot being able to switch um, back and forth. Um, one weekend you're doing dirt, next weekend you're doing asphalt. I think it's really important to have the strength and ability to be able to go back and forth to a completely different car really fast. So I think that's where it definitely um, helps and just being able to transfer between cars really well. For sure. And I know in dirt track racing, it's not about running the low line all the time. Sometimes you, you got to be a little bit brave to run against the cushion, which obviously makes a lot more run off the corner, but it's also pretty dangerous too. <laughs> oh man, I, I would love to know what it's like. Actually, let me ask you that actually, you know, I obviously have never raced cars, but I've been following it since I was a little boy. So you tell me, because you're a lot more qualified at this, what is it like to be behind the wheel of a dirt modified, like that the one that you've raced, the like one that you've shown in your Facebook? Like, I'm just curious about the sensation about being behind the wheel of that car. I actually haven't tested it yet. Um, we're going to here in the next few weeks, but I've ran dirt legend cars um, a lot recently. Um, it's really fun. Those are, they're not really a dirt car. It's an asphalt car just with dirt tires on a dirt track. So um, that definitely makes it harder, I believe, because it's an uh, asphalt car on dirt. And those those are really fun. They have a lot of power. Um, it's, been, it's a lot of throttle control, even on the asphalt side, but especially on the dirt side on much slicker conditions. Um, I ran at East Lincoln Speedway here in North Carolina a few years ago in a dirt legend. That was probably my favorite dirt race I've ever ran. Uh, I think I, I, I think I won my heat or finished second, but um, got disqualified from it for our right front brake line. We didn't even know um, we had that disconnected. So had to start from the rear and drove from 20 something up to, I think the top five. So that was definitely like one of my most fun dirt races, just going through cars and you have no mirrors. So you're just going off the sound of other cars around you. So it's definitely just more of a driver 
a driver car. That's really fascinating, and no and no spotters too. So you're going off intuition in this case. Yeah, that's remarkable. That's really. That's like, I know for us who can drive a streetcar on the road, I mean, we're used to that, but high speed, you know, trusting other drivers who are doing the same things as you, that's really fascinating. And I think that's really cool that you share that, Luke, because that gives me a greater appreciation for, you know, that type of racing for sure. Now I got a couple more questions for you as we get into the later half of this interview in the hot seat. Now let's just say you got to be someone like me who I sometimes moonlight as a DJ. Not for Sirius XM though, but let's say you got to be a Sirius XM radio DJ for a day and you got to pick three songs that you feel best personifies you as a person and a race car driver. What songs would you choose? I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I don't really follow music too much. Um, so yeah, I don't really know. I don't really follow music. <laughs> so you're not the kind that before a race that you need to get jazzed up to music. You're, you're pretty much just on the go. You're ready to go. Yeah. Love it. You're like me. I don't need coffee to get ready for work. I just, when I wake up, let's just do it. So yeah. no nonsense. Love it, man. I love it. How about this though? Let's say that you got to build your own kind of racetrack anywhere around the world, right? What kind of track would you build and where would it be? Definitely a dirt track um, somewhere up North, probably in Ohio or Michigan. Um, somewhere that's fast on the bottom but fast on the top too and really rough i think that's definitely a fun track to run in dirt sprint cars dirt late models really anything i assume it would be pretty fun just you can run right on the wall right in the bottom middle uh, really just a racy dirt track with um some bumps that sounds really cool and off the beaten trail so i like that and uh i think that would be a, a kind of track that srx mono, uh, obviously the woo um kyle larson's high limits series anything really could be good at that um for sure this is kind of a difficult question for my last one so i don't mean to put you on the spot here luke and it kind of sounds like a job interview question if you're in my shoes but this always fascinates me to ask how do you envision your career in the next five years in terms of your motorsports effort uh i mean hopefully i can i can do the dirt the, the dirt stuff for a for the rest of the year and hopefully throughout next year we can be an endurance late model um but obviously opportunities can happen out of nowhere so if i have an opportunity again to run more car store races i definitely will i'm kind of i'm still pretty early in my career so i'm still up to really anything i don't really have a set up path yet uh, i'm just kind of going by the year so uh, my goal right now is just to have fun uh, me and my dad racing we're gonna be doing modifies rest of the year and late models next year um, dirt late models. So just having fun is what I'm, um, my goal right now. I love it. And the, that dirt racing community certainly needs a lot more good talents, young as you, and hopefully being the next type of driver, like a Scott Bloomquist or Rico Abreu, Kyle Larson, Steve Kinzer, Dave Blaney, all these drivers that, you know, they're just as great as the drivers that people know from the Sunday or Saturday stock car types of racing. So it's so cool to hopefully meet someone who is going to be a future day dirt racing mom superstar. So before I wrap things up here, my friend, is there anything else you want to say to the fans at home for the first of hopefully many interviews here in the hot seat? Yeah, you can go follow me on social media. My Instagram's Luke Mori um, 49 and my Facebook's Luke Mori Racing. Uh, you can just stay in tune with my racing throughout the rest of the year um, as I'm switching to dirt.
And that was Luke Maureen who joined us for that segment of the hot seat. So my thanks, of course, to Luke and of course to our old friend Taylor Kitchen from Team Hornady Development for making that possible. So keep up to date with Luke and all the other THD drivers because we will be publishing articles of each of these drivers in the next several weeks, of course. So for you folks who love to read the articles in addition to the podcast, we'll have the, those up for you in the month of August, which of course, as I like to say during the month of August, it's racers month where we get to do all kinds of interviews, regardless of what series that driver happens to participate in. Of course, Nathan's going to be on vacation next week. So as far as co-host is concerned, I might be doing the solo cast. I don't know yet, but Nathan, I know before you go on vacation, I'm sure you're looking forward to the action at Richmond and Road America. I know you gave your picks earlier in the program, but what are some things that you think that fans should be watching for this weekend? Looking forward to watching, um, you know, another triple header of action this weekend. Uh, I think Road America is one of the better road courses that NASCAR goes to. So excited to, to watch the extending cars up, up there. I mean, they've been going there for the last 10, 12 years, something like that. So um, they always put on a really good show up there. And, and glad Road America still does get a NASCAR race, even though the Cup Series pulled out. Um, and then Richmond, I mean, um, you know, this is the second track that the Cup Series is going through for the second time this season. So um, we'll see which cars can kind of get buttoned, so get things kind of buttoned up from the spring race. Um, and then the Truck Series, they will make their annual visit to Richmond as well. But, um, you know, I definitely have a little, uh, we'll have a little bit of FOMO this weekend, you know, of course, after being at the, at the last two races, being at the last two Richmond spring races as well. Um, Richmond is a terrific facility, um, pretty newly renovated in the infield. Um, so we'll definitely miss being at Richmond, uh, this weekend. I'll be, I'll be just down the road though, on the, uh, on the Eastern shore. So, um, I'll definitely be paying attention to the Ollie action. And even though I will be on vacation, don't you worry. I will have plenty of content still to come on the website. So stay tuned for that. Certainly. But enjoy your vacation, of course, Nathan, because everyone needs one during the year. And certainly that's a great place to go to, Virginia, uh, on the east side of the States. So should be a lot of fun for sure. As for me, I think the one thing I'm going to be looking forward to is the, the, the truck battle because of the fact that the playoffs are fast approaching in that series. In fact, they're going to be the first of the three major series that will have their playoffs, considering they're somewhat shorter schedule compared to the Cup Series. Because after this weekend, we've, we're kicking things off, man. We're, we're going to go to Lucas Oil Raceway Park at Indianapolis to kick off the playoffs with the T-Sport 200 the Milwaukee miles, the middle stretch of that segment of the opening round. And then a Kansas, anything's possible. That's a great racetrack as you know, folks. And uh, I do look forward to a great Saturday night event on September 8th. So it's the nitty gritty as they like to say, as Vince Welch used to say. Um, so that's going to be the one thing I'm looking forward to. And of course, folks, the heat and humidity at R Richmond Raceway, that's going to be untenable to say the least. So for you folks going, please hydrate with water, you know, stay cool as much as possible and hope that you folks get to enjoy two great races at the action track. So with that, folks, I think it's a great time to go ahead and wrap up episode number 80. So for Nathan Solomon, Austin Hill and Luke Mori, I'm your host, Rob T. Onsen, saying thanks so much for tuning in to the Podium Finish Live, the world's fastest hour of racing talk 
for more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Next week is episode number 81. I have no idea what's going to happen on that show. I know we have a Team Hornaday development driver, and it might be a solo cast. So if it is, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun doing this by myself, I think. But anyways, folks, we are so happy that you could join us for this episode. So stay safe, and let's all go get that checkered flag. And until next time, folks, so long, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>